0: And hello and welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. I'm Tony Clark, your host, and today I've got a special guest on the program, and her name is Annie Wilover. Now, she is a renowned violinist, Juilliard pre-college graduate, and a recording artist with a diverse musical and stylistic background. In the year 2000, she founded the Annie Moses Band with her family as lead singer and violinist. The Annie Moses Band has recorded more than a dozen albums, produced tele-nominated PBS specials, traveled to Europe and Asia, and performed on stages as diverse as Carnegie Hall, the Kennedy Center, and the Grand Ole Opry. Mm-hmm. In 2010, they founded a nonprofit, the Annie Moses Foundation, which nurt- nurtures the artistic development of families. And I definitely want to talk about that. Now, the Annie Moses Foundation supports a local conservatory, an online music curricula, annual summer music festival, and a playhouse. I think it's called a Packard Playhouse. I'll ask about that as well. The band will soon be celebrating 20 years of music at the Kennedy Center with a special guest. And I'll let her discuss that. But Annie, it's, it's, a, it's an honor to have you on the program today.
1: Hey, Tony. It's, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for having
0: me. Absolutely. And for more information, those folks that are just listening on the podcast, you can go to the website and it's org to find out more information. Yes. Annie, Annie uh, my wife and I, were we were surf, channel surfing about a month ago and we came across a PBS special and it had you and your family performing. And uh, we were just both blown away by the technical skill that you guys have. Um, the presentation, the aesthetics of of the concerts, uh, so we were just really impressed, and I wanted to to reach out and see if you'd be on. But the Annie Moses Band, let's just start there. Let's talk about the formation. And for those that are listening or watching watching that don't know, um, we're assuming that your name isn't Annie Moses. Is that correct? Where did that name come from?
1: Yeah, I was named after Annie Moses, uh, who is our great-grandmother, and she's the woman that we trace back our musical lineage to. Um, Annie Moses um, is from the maternal side of the family, so the mother's mother's, you know, down the mother line. Um, she died when she was very young. She died when she was just 49 years old of cancer, having lived uh, the life of a sharecropper's wife. She worked cotton fields. Um knew essentially no musical, formal musical training. They had kind of an old piano that lived in the corner of the house, and she played a little on it. Uh, But she saw a great gift in her daughter, Jane, um, who became our grandmother. And Jane had a very um, beautiful, high, silvery singing voice. And Annie nurtured that to the greatest degree that their means would allow, which was really very negligible um actually it was you know a handful of piano lessons but uh jane had a really beautiful natural beautiful singing voice and she married a preacher and they had four children of which one of one of them was my mother and she was determined that my mother was going to see the musical education that she hadn't seen as as a child of a sharecropper and so my mother studied piano and then went to college to study vocal performance and met my dad there. And the two of them uh, wrote a song for Sandy Patty called Make His Praise Glorious, which was really the beginning of a bigger things for them musically that launched their careers as writers and moved my family to Nashville. Um, My mother felt a very distinctive call of God that I should play the violin. Um, And she started me in violin when I was five. Um, And really the story goes from there that my mother became an Olympic level practicer. Um, She, you know, my parents had uh, six biological children. They ended up adopting a child. um, Well, when I was an adult, I was already married and had children of my own. So there's seven of us all together. But um, my mother was truly extraordinary in the sense that when she was in her early thirties, had four very young children, a a very bright career as a writer, she determined that she was going to really turn aside from her own personal career aspirations and turn her focus to her children. And that bore amazing fruit in our lives because we were quite extraordinary at our instrumental prowess from a young age, and that's what took us to Juilliard. And when we were there... Uh, we started actually considering what it would look like to make music together as a family. Um, I I love to sing, and the Lord had really shown favor to me in that regard, and that's how the Annie Moses Band was born. And and a lot of what we wanted to do as a family was showcase God's grace through the generations and how our own story mirrored that idea of from glory to glory, you know, that every generation can build upon the legacy of what's happened in past generations. And that, that became like the founding story, so to speak, of the music of the Annie Moses band. Um, It's something that we still talk about probably every interview like yours, you know, wants to know that tale and it's very special to us. And I think it's um, given us a great platform from which all the other messages that are important to us um, have been given a voice.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm curious. Uh, was there like a specific spark that said uh, that, that you had uh, that, that said, I want to start a band with my family. Uh, was there a specific (laughs) instance or was it a culmination of things that kind of led to the formation of the Annie Moses band?
1: Um, I think it was many things. Um, you know, my, We benefited tremendously from the fact that our parents were obviously musical professionals. My dad is just a monster level piano player, you know, just an amazing pianist. And he was a professional, uh, not just songwriter, but composer, arranger. And so obviously our instrumentation was very unique. You know, on the one hand, I sang, which obviously gave us the power to talk about messages, but on an instrumental side, you know, we play violin and viola and cello and harp and all these unusual things. And so the fact that we had composers and arrangers and songwriters in house gave us wings in a way that um, we wouldn't have had if we were just, you know, four or five high schoolers trying to figure it out. Um, And when we were at Juilliard, you know, we had planned all this time to pursue classical careers. And um, while we were there, we excelled and saw great, a lot of great success, but every time we played together as a family, which was something we had done since we were young, but we had never really considered it as having professional legs. Like, oh yeah, we could actually do this and this could be our main thing. Um, And I think I began to face the fact that, um, you know, the classical genre has a certain agenda in mind by its very nature. I still love to play classically. I still really believe in the skill that I developed, you know, devoting a great part of my life to that work. But I also came down to the fact that I really didn't want my craft just to be centered around reinterpreting Tchaikovsky for a new generation. You know, we had a lot of things we wanted to say. And if you have things that you want to say, then you better write songs and figure out how to use your skill in a way that it's meaningful. Um, And that's a very kingdom perspective. You know, um, you can always glorify God when you're playing a Mozart concerto or creating a work of beauty. But um, we wanted to say something meaningful. And that was had to do with our specific story.
0: Annie, you guys are celebrating 20 years, and you're going to have a performance at the Kennedy Center with a a special guest. Can you fill us in a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, we're thrilled about that. Um, Just in the last week, um, Jim Caviezel, the the great actor, has come on board um, to be a part of that night as as the narrator of the whole evening. Um, Yeah, that is a, a celebration event of the 20 years of music making for the Annie Moses band, but it is also um, the night where we are launching and debuting a a lot of music from a brand new sacred project called Under the Tree of Life. Um, Jim's involvement in that is particularly special because the album is a collection of prayers, scriptures, um, even songs that are based upon works of poetry that were written by saints of the faith um, that are all, just part of the canon of what it means to be a Christian. And we're particularly excited about it because God um, in his great providence and divine timing has placed this concert on November the 6th. So it's literally, we're performing, you know, a year from the presidential election in Washington, D.C. on the stage of the Kennedy Center. And we're performing... The Lord's Prayer and First Corinthians thirteen and performing Second Chronicles seven fourteen and if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I will turn and hear from heaven, um, and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. I mean, these very very powerful scriptures about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live a penitential life um, in a time where. Uh The darkness is very predatorial in our time. feels uh, very loud often, and so the people of God um, you know have a great challenge uh, to rise up and uh, stand in places of influence uh, for his kingdom, and that's uh, the call that we hope to answer at the Kennedy Center.
0: Annie, and that ties in with my next question that I, I wanted to ask. And I'll put the links below the video to to, mm-hmm. to that and all of your other websites as well. But uh, the Annie Moses Foundation, they have a mission statement, I believe, is to populate the world of the arts with godly excellence. Mm-hmm. And you just touched on that. There's so much darkness out there. And it's like we as the church, we, we avoid the arts. We avoid... Um, getting out there in the world and the music. Sometimes this is just my own opinion here. The music that we produce is, is to the church many times. Right, it's not right. very good. Uh, the, hmm. the the movies that we make are secondary. They're not, they're not filled with excellence mm-hmm. and and, and they're not promoted. They're not being used out there in the world, but you guys are different. And the Annie Moses foundation, I think deals with much of that, promoting excellence, with, with promoting the arts with godly excellence. You want to talk about that foundation a little bit more?
1: Yeah. Um, well, at the beginning, everywhere we went, people wanted to know how my parents had developed that degree of prowess and artistry in their children who were very young at the time. Um, I'm about to turn 40 years old here in just a couple of weeks, but the, you know, I was, 17, 18 years old at the time. You know, when we were at first beginning the band, we went on our first tour. I was, you know, 19 years old when we did our first tour. And, um, and I was the oldest of my siblings. So, I mean, it was going down from like 19 to 11 and 9. You know, we were very, very young. Um, and we saw that parents very much wanted to nurture the artistic development of their children. Um, and yet for most people, at least their saga in music education is just a tale of failure. You know, parents who can't get their kids to practice, um, teachers that don't succeed, um, you know, there's all sorts of, I used to do this, but it never quite worked. Um, People in the homeschool community, people in the Christian education community also really struggled with this because um, while music in church um, it became very music in church became connected with a very specific genre um, and while there are parts of that that's really wonderful in the praise and worship movement, we started to see in some ways, the the programs that had once really built a very thriving larger community that was choirs and orchestras and children's choirs and youth choirs and drama teams and all of a sudden became very small, you know um, And so we saw this wave and so at first the the nonprofit was really just meant to fulfill those questions. How do we answer that? So first we had a summer festival, the summer festival really... Developed into what is now the nine months out of the year conservatory where we do artist development. And it's a very intensive program for people who feel a, a vocational call to music. Um, the online curriculum is something that's meant to help democratize a lot of the information for people that want to pursue music, um, but feel like they don't have good access to good teachers. So there's that educational side. To what we're doing. And then the other part of it is that we're trying to create works for stage and for screen. Um, about four or five years ago now, we filmed our very first television show for children called The Wonderful World of Benjamin Cello, which is deep and whimsical and beautiful and creative and full of music. Um, And has been by far the most surprisingly well-received thing we've ever done. I mean, we started that show and we thought, boy, we hope this works. And then we were like, well, we should have been doing this from the beginning. (laughs) Why were we making albums when we could have been making kids shows? Um, Because people loved what it was um, and we loved making it. Um, So we've been creating these works. We have a brand new children's show called Chalk and Block Children that's coming out very soon. Um... Anyway, all of that, right, all of that comes back to what you said right in the beginning, which is the church hasn't done a great job of occupying this space. Um, And it's surprising because Jesus's final words to hear us on this earth were, Occupy until I come again. And that, that phrase is a very militant phrase. Right when you occupy, you control the territory. You control the dialogue, Um, and and yet in the world of the arts, I think that the church really abdicated the authority in the realm of the arts to secular education, and in secular education, it became basically a budget game. You know, if you're If you're sprinkled with the magical pixie fairy dust of talent, then you're going to go be in choir or be in band. Um, Or if you are athletic, then you're going to go be on the football team. And we allowed that paradigm to control what we did artistically, which is such a, a tragedy because sports and music don't exist, biblically speaking, in the same category you know, the music is a spiritual discipline. We are told hundreds of times in the scriptures to sing. We're told to play, to play skillfully. Um, God had in, I mean, I, I was going over this recently, all of the things that God tells very explicitly to Moses that are what are the things that are supposed to be in my temple? Who is supposed to make it? What is it supposed to be made out of? Who are the people that are supposed to play? What is supposed to happen? And and that shows the degree of significance that God gives to the spaces where he is respected and worshiped, what he intends from his people. And I think that there's... Um, You know, I'm always really shocked when people, when parents say, well, you know, I have one daughter who really sings well, but my other son is in, you know, my other daughter's into soccer. And I think, well, you know, that's sort of like you said to me, well, you know, I have one, one child who really prays well, but the other one likes checkers. Like they're not in the same category. Um, so anyway, that's my little soapbox, but I, you know, we hope, we hope that the fruit of the music of the Annie Moses band is not just that people come and see a concert or that people like a particular song. We hope that we're able to open a dialogue and serve as leaders within a movement where the people of God become very serious about the craft, because through skill, we are given access to platforms of power that is stages and that is screens, just like you and I are filming on today. And those screens are the vehicle by which we are going to share the truth of the gospel. It is also the vehicle by which our enemy, the devil, is going to spread the lies that he is the father of. And he's done a really good job of doing it. And so I hope that one day we're gonna see a time when the people that are writing the hit show, writing the hit Broadway musical, being the greatest directors, the greatest actors, that you have to go to Christians in order to be, to access the best. Um, Because that's going to give us a power in this world um, that God can use for his harvest because uh, the workers are few and he needs us.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm just trying to understand under... Under the umbrella of the conservatory is the summer music festival, uh, the wonderful world of Benjamin Cello, and the Packard Playhouse. Or how how how, how are all how of are those things connected? working together?
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, we have a a building, a headquarters in Columbia, Tennessee, south of Nashville, um, and there uh, you've three of the ones you just mentioned are kind of headquartered there. So we have our conservatory of music that runs nine months out of the year. It involves. Excuse me, it involves us along with, you know, extra faculty that have been a part of our ORB and share this mission. There's a little over 100 people that are a part of that from five or six different states. Um, They travel in a long ways to be a part of that program. They're not just locals. So that's the conservatory. Then we have a summer festival. It runs three weeks in July. And then Packard Playhouse is the small theater that we run that is at that location. So we've got a beautiful space where we can teach lessons and do a lot of different things. But there's a, a a space in the back we call Packard Playhouse because our building was originally a Packard plant or like a service station for Packard automobiles. So at the Packard Playhouse, we produce Broadway musicals, we produce concerts, we live stream things. And again, that's just a platform where we're able to create a work where we are elevating this message And that can take all sorts of different forms. You know, sometimes it's an explicitly Christian show. And sometimes it's, oh, well, like in the month of September, you know, we're producing The Music Man. You know, and that's also this a, a beautiful work that, you know, hosts all sorts of things about the beauty of the human family and great music and young performers and veteran performers. And so it takes a lot of different shapes. Uh, but that's what the Packard Playhouse is about. And then, of course, we produce television shows like The Wonderful World of Benjamin Cello. And that's a show that can be seen on all sorts of streaming platforms. Right now, Media, Formed Media, um, goodness, Pure Flicks. There's, there's multiples. There's a lot. You can get it on Amazon. Um, you can view season one on YouTube. Um, so there's a lot of places you can check out The Wonderful World of Benjamin Cello.
0: Any, it, it sounds like um, and, and the, the song that I hear, first heard from you guys is I think it's called In My Grandpa's Pulpit. Oh, yeah. And there's a there's a line in that song, and I hope oh. I'm quoting it correctly here. It ain't right to do nothing when something ought to be done. Yes. And this ties in with what you're talking about. We as we as um, we as the church, we as people of faith, we should be out there in the community making the best poetry, making the best art making the best music making the best uh, television productions you name it we mm-hmm. but if we have a if we have a connection to the creator of the cosmos we have that connection and we should be out there and occupying uh that space but that really ties in with that song uh in in my in my mind
1: yeah well i think it does as well you know that particular song um in my grandpa's pulpit was a, a biographical song about my grandfather, who was, um, a minister and a preacher for over 50 years at the same little mountain church in Oklahoma, but he was also the deputy sheriff and a great deal of his life was spent fighting organized crime in Oklahoma, um, where, um, literally the organized crime burned his church church house down when he was a very young man, um, and growing this mission, this mission um, to the mountain people who lived there. And so he famously would preach with, you know, his Bible at the top of the pulpit and his, and his pistol at the ledge below, you know, because he was kind of surfing in both capacities and, and he would, he had that phrase, you know, like once it's not right to do nothing when something ought to be done. And once you are responsible, you know, once you have that knowledge, you're responsible to act. Um, I mean, I think that's why people right now are so moved by the movie, The Sound of Freedom, as a for instance. Like once you know human trafficking exists, you're responsible for the knowledge. You're responsible for knowing that that's the case. Um, And and we, we filter that in our lives in all sorts of ways. You know, once you say to yourself, oh, you know what, Um, Netflix produces this kind of show, you know what, I'm not going to subscribe there anymore. You know, if Target is going to have swimsuits with, you know, that kind of stuff, right? If we're not going to, I'm not going to go spend my money there, right? We're, we make all sorts of decisions, basically saying, how can I be actively make a stand for what we know to be true. And how can I make it because I don't know in the culture in which we live, which is very apathetic and very wealthy, um, you know, there's a whole lot of sin that we deal with a whole lot of darkness that we deal with in our world. It's really only possible because we're uh, wealthy because we're in a first world. <laughs> um, and you know, our wealth has given a lot of wings, to darkness. Um, and I often wonder what that will mean. Cause if I were God, I would say, well, let's make those people poor and they'll probably come back to me. You know, like you would, you would think that. Um, but I, I think that for us as, as Christians, there's, we are always being posed with this question of what, in what way can I, be actively participating in the kingdom. And the, the, the reverse of that is sort of the, um, I don't know, the Solzhenitsyn, like Alexander Solzhenitsyn, you know, he said, you know, the first step of fighting communism or fighting um, what he fought in the Soviet Union was to say, I will not participate in a lie. You know, if I show up at this place, if I spend this dollar, if I go see this movie, if I subscribe to this thing, then there's a way in which you are affirming the lie. I'm participating in the lie. And so I think that there's a place where uh, Christians are now kind of awakening to this idea, this idea of like my dollars. um, Every time I like a post, the podcasts I decide to listen to, that all of this is my, away, my way of either affirming or rejecting a lie within my culture, um, and that that's really powerful. It's a very powerful way to use your voice. Um, I also think that it's a way that Christians are now starting to relook at how we educate our children, the things that we're going to invest in for them, uh, because— the, you know, everything that we participate in, it's funny enough, literally everything has become art, right? It's like everything down to like, you would say, for instance, like food, like we eat food three times a day. And you would never say food was an art form. But there's nobody that can tell me that food on Instagram isn't an art. It is, right? We've turned the making of our food into the art, the walking of our dog is an art because everything is on a screen and everything is something we watch and something we listen to. And, um, and that what that means is that we can't allow our children to be raised as suckers, artistic suckers, um, suckers to marketing. (laughs) And hopefully we're becoming more and more savvy to that.
0: Annie, I've got uh, a question for you. Uh, (laughs) I speak to that young artist out there, that, that young person of faith, that young Christian who wants to get into the arts, who wants to explore the possibilities of being a great poet or a great musician or a great performer, what have you, or to get into the media. They want to be the best. What advice would you have for that, that younger person who has the desire to to, to go all out for the kingdom? <sighs>
1: Oh well, skill is important. I think that skill is important. Skill opens doors, um, and beyond beyond it even open doors because there's a, a way in which skill gives you access to places. Right? You you get to go play at the Kennedy Center because you, you've you've built something, um, but beyond that. Skill um, allows you to be like a mirror or like a window through which God can shine and you become invisible. When you watch people play badly, the performer themselves is the most visible thing, right? When you see someone perform mediocre or badly, all you do as an audience person is think about them. You think about how you hope they survive. You hope X, Y, or Z happens, and when you see an amazing performer perform, what you actually see is the message of what they're saying becomes clearer and clearer and clearer, and when they are a person who is a person of faith, a person that the Holy Spirit lives within, which is such an amazing thought. Every Christian who has just not thought recently about that, right? The, the only religion in the world that claims the spirit of God himself makes a home in you. That's just us. And that's an amazing thought if you are a Christian performer, because every time you walk out on the stage, your hands and your voice become a vehicle by which his spirit can magnify a message. And that's so powerful. So there's a place where you have to really train You have to go deep with God. Um, My primary thought is that, that the advice that you want me to give to a young person actually should be given to a parent because this doesn't happen by the time a young person awakens to that thought. If you are like 14 or 15 and you just kind of wake up one day and go, oh, you know, I really want to do music. It's really hard to do that by that point. You know, you kind of lost the window. Um, It really begins with a parent saying, I'm going to educate my child musically when they're four and five and six. And music is such an amazing tool for the parent to communicate love, right? Because... The first rule of love is patience. And that means you're going to spend time, you know, and you're going to say, I'm going to spend time with you. And what generally happens in music is that parents put off forever doing anything and they, they sort of like wake up like at 11 and go, oh, like, yeah, maybe they should do something in music. And then they go do something in music that's primarily alone. It's like, Susie, go into that room and play that song that nobody cares about and you don't like for that teacher you don't really like anyway, and I don't and I'm going to hear once in the year. You know, it's like it is this the worst possible scenario for success. And yet if you have a parent that's going in every day and sitting in front of their child and saying, "I believe inside of you there is a greatness that is comprised of the fact that you are a creative being." made in the image of a creative god and that my job here on this planet is to help be a steward of that gift and when that mindset infuses your parenting all of a sudden your child grows up with an incredible knowledge of your love for them and by the time they waken up they are waking up. That's not even good grammar. By the time they wake up, it's my good homeschooling. By the time they wake up to I'm 14 or 15, and you know what? I have something to say about Jesus. I have something to say about my world. They already have a toolbox to do that. And that's what you want because it's, um, you know, if you w- if you have to wake up at 16 to that, everybody else has already had this big old head start by like a decade. Um, And so I encourage parents, don't wait, don't wait till then. Um, Even if you didn't care about the kingdom and messages and all that stuff, from a purely scientific educational perspective, you know, the study of music is the only activity that uses every single quadrant of the brain at the same time. It makes your brain bigger, heavier, smarter. Literally, it weighs more than a person who doesn't study music. And that is only true. All the studies about improving math and science and all that stuff is only true if you study music under the age of 12. So it's it's a really amazing, powerful thing. This is why, like, when I went to Juilliard, you know, I'm in the, at the Juilliard School, this is the top 5% of players in all of the planet. And I would say that only maybe like 25% of the people that I went to the pre-college with even intended to pursue music as a profession. Like their parents had taken them all the way to the Juilliard school to do music because they were going to be eye surgeons and they were going to study genetics because they're just genius parents. And genius parents say, hey, you know what? When you're three, you're going to figure out how to play the violin because it's going to make you a genius, right? And you're going to go to MIT. And that's what they did. And so that's why, um, boy, if you want to just like increase the intellectual capacity of your child to excel in anything, um, even apart from the fact that they have a voice for the kingdom or they become powerful or courageous or are able to stand on a stage and speak their piece and preach a sermon and, um, you know, any apart from any of those things, like music is such a powerful force.
0: Well, uh, extremely encouraging. Great words of wisdom, Annie. And I want to ask you, what's coming up for you? What's coming up for, for your family, for the Annie Moses Band? What do you have on the agenda?
1: Well, we've already talked a little bit about the Kennedy Center. That's coming up on November the 6th. Um, And on the heels of that event, we're going to be releasing the corresponding album called Under the Tree of Life. So I hope that folks will check out that project and that album. Um, We've got a big Christmas tour planned, so we're going to be lots of cities for the Christmas tour. Um, Christmas is a really fun signature season for the music of the Annie Moses Band. So that's going to be great, and then we have this new children's show, Talking Block Children, that's coming out. Um, and then coming up in February, I'm having a baby, so that's exciting too. And <laughs> it's all sorts of fun things are are around the corner.
0: Annie, what's the the folks that are listening uh, that are encouraged by what you do and why you do it? Um, how can they support you? What's the best way to support? Uh, your organization, your foundation, yeah, and your you band? So
1: much, uh, thank you so much for asking that. Um, yes, you can go to anniemoses.org. There's a link right there at the top right that says give there. Um, I don't know. It's so important. I'm not I'm not a good fundraiser. I'm trying to figure out how to become a good person to ask for help. Um, I hope that people will give, and I hope that people will give generously. Um, I think that there's always this thought that people see the arts as something kind of glamorous or frivolous or something that's kind of people's own personal ambition. Um, And I think that that's the wrong way to look at it. Um, That might be true for some. It is not true for us. It is, um, it is truly missional. Um, We invest in a lot of people and a lot of projects um, that are going to be very powerful for the kingdom. And we desire that our legacy um, not just be a string of hit songs, um, but of people that end up in heaven because we were here um, speaking these messages and proclaiming a truth, um, not a truth, the truth. And so uh, that's what we're about. And I hope that people will partner with us in that calling.
0: Well, again, I, I strongly encourage if you're listening or watching, go go to the website And I believe the website is, uh, bear with me a second, anniemoses.org, anniemoses.org. Support this mission. Again, it's a a great mission for the kingdom. And Annie, I can't thank you enough uh, for coming on and and telling us uh, about your organization, about your band, and about yourself. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Tony. I had a great time. Thank you.
0: And I will ask you to hang on 30 seconds, but until next time.